Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. No doubt at all, coronavirus is absolutely dominating the news. Uh, and two key bits of news for people just waking up right now. Uh, it's happened overnight. Uh, at nine o'clock last night, the Italian Prime Minister announced it, uh, that uh, all of those quarantine measures for the north of the country would now be imposed across the entire country. 62 million Italians affected. All public gatherings outlawed at sporting events, cinemas, theatres, gyms, discos, pubs uh, uh, and, and the like. Although they don't mention restaurants, interesting. I don't know if Italians could cope with the restaurants closing. Schools and universities closed. However, you are able, still able to fly in and out, uh, drive in and out of the country. You are still allowed to go to and from work there. Not entirely convinced uh, that this is uh, going to be the sort of quarantine we saw in places like Wuhan uh, uh, and South Korea, which really did uh, get a grip on this. But also developments are here. uh, And this is the advice we've had from the Chief Medical Officer and the Chief Science Officer standing alongside the Prime Minister in a press conference yesterday, that uh, in a very short space of time, we are going to see people, if they do have a small fever, if they do have some sort of cough or a spirit problem, they are going to be asked to stay at home, to self-isolate for a week. Um, Mark Stevens, um, realistically it, it is the case that you know police states like China are better at self-isolating and quarantining uh, than, uh, in fact you don't have to self-isolate, you've got people on the streets with guns, you, you, you quarantine yourself don't you? Uh, do you have any hope that we are going to be able to uh, contain this enough, to delay it enough that we are going to be able to cope and we can cut the number of deaths of the elderly? I think we are and I think the British population is uh, probably uh, now prepared for it. There's a very interesting piece in the uh, Mail, which is one of the few papers to get the story about uh, the lockdown in Italy, and they identify what were the problems in Italy, uh, and that's really uh, interesting, and there are lessons to be learnt there. Yeah, indeed, with lots of lessons being learnt from other countries, but lots of criticism yesterday that the Prime Minister was doing so too little too late. Uh, Yeah, but on the other hand, you can say the government's done a good job, and it's not often I say that the government's done a good (laughs) job on almost anything. Also, they are acting on the... the chief medical officer and the chief scientist were saying there's no you can't be asking people to quarantine now when there isn't a crisis because people won't stay quarantined and then when you ask them to stay quarantined when there is a problem they won't do it no absolutely and and you know as mark said i do think the british people are prepared for this i think small businesses are ready to you know press the button and um, have people working from home and all of these different measures that they can individually take so you know um hopefully we could be optimistic Not about the Not everybody can work from home. This is one no, of the no, key quite. things here. Uh, well, let's uh, talk to our first guest uh, on this. We're going to be talking to a correspondent in Italy in just a couple of moments. Uh, first up, let's talk to Stephen Dorrell, who's the former NHS Confederation Chair and former Health Secretary for the Conservatives, of course. Good morning to you. 
Morning, Julia. Um, what do you make of criticisms? I mean, it's come from uh, all quarters. But Rory Stewart, for instance, former, you know, you know a year ago, a, a Tory cabinet minister and now, now a mayoral candidate in London, claiming that the, the government isn't doing enough and isn't uh, doing the right thing and not for learning the lessons from other countries by quarantining much sooner and having a lockdown much sooner. But And yet we've got the chief medical officer and chief science officer giving advice that we shouldn't do that yet. What do you make of that, given your experience... It, as former health secretary? Well, the answer is that I'm firmly on the side of uh, being guided by science. Uh, the truth is that there are this uh, epidemic is in different stages in different parts of the world. And I think it's essential, actually, that policy in, in, in reacting to it is guided by two principles. First, uh, believe the science, believe the evidence. And second, explain what you're doing. And although I think the government was somewhat slow off the mark, I think it is now actually observing both of those principles uh, to really very well. I think that it's clear what the advice is that's coming to ministers, coming from the chief medical officer, the chief scientific officer. They're giving that advice in public. If there are uh, scientists who disagree with what they're saying on scientific grounds, they can disagree with it. I haven't heard of any major disagreement. Uh, and then the government are taking responsibility for uh, putting in place actions that are based on that science. Yes, I mean, one would argue there's not much point having a chief medical officer or a chief science officer if you're not going to listen to what they have to say. And yet, if all you're going to do is read the papers and say, well, whatever <laughs> they're doing in Italy, we're going to do that. Yes. That's that bad policy. Well, that's it. the argument from the chief science officer yesterday speaking was uh, that actually, if you look at some of the measures which Italy has taken, I mean, they were you know banning flights from China straight away uh, and, and and quarantining. Actually, they didn't stop the spread of the virus. There seems to be an argument that actually uh, that some of these measures can be counterproductive. Well, indeed, uh, because they're not being guided uh, by the evidence of what is effective. What uh, Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance are doing is setting out the steps that are likely to be most effective at depressing the, the peak of the infection and spreading the burden of the infection. And those are the two things uh, that we want to do. And the, I think one thing that has started to happen over the last few days, and I think is very welcome, is the fact that the government isn't just saying this is what's going to happen today. It's also preparing people for what is likely to be necessary at the time of the peak of the epidemic. Yeah, I mean, and this is the key thing, isn't it? It's about uh, spreading out the infection rate, uh, partly to keep it lower overall, but to keep it lower at any one given time so that the health service can cope, because that is the difference between someone getting access to a critical care bed and surviving and someone not getting access and someone dying. That's precisely right. There's a third element of this as well which is that by spreading it, you're also uh, allowing time for natural immunity to build. We're, of course, we're all looking forward to having uh, vaccination available to artificial immunity, if you will, to, to uh, slow down the development of the disease. But natural immunity also has the effect of slowing down the development of the disease within the community. So spreading uh, the development of the epidemic uh, it has the effect you describe of ensuring that there's, we're, we're seeking to moderate the load on the health service, but it also uh, has, uh, it allows time for immunity to build.
Um, and what do you make of the people, there's a lot of people on, on social media, but a lot of people speaking you know, in, in pubs and workplaces around the country saying, for goodness sake, this is a fuss about nothing. Flu kills far more. It's far more uh, you know, of a problem. We should, you know, we, People die of road crashes or people die of suicide. And this isn't something that we should be getting ourselves, or well, getting our knickers in a twist about. What would you say to that? Well, I would say that it's true that flu uh, kills significant numbers of people every day, but that's not a reason for welcoming a new, a new disease that's going to kill more people. Uh, and therefore, uh, I think that, it, again, I come back to the two principles of believe the science and ex- explain what you're doing. And I think that is what the government is now doing. And as I said, I think it's important, actually, that what's evolved over the last few days is that it isn't just saying this is what we're doing now. It's also preparing and explaining what is likely to happen over the next few weeks and months. Okay, well, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Stephen Dorrell, not just former Health Secretary, former NHS Confederation Chair as well. 7.14 is the time. Let's turn our attention to what has been happening in Italy overnight. Uh, Silvia Shirelli uh, Borelli is the t- Italian correspondent for Politico and joins us now. Good morning to you, Sylvia. Good morning. Um, Good morning now, uh, the headline, just as I went to bed last night, was saying that you know, the Prime Minister of Italy, Giuseppe Conte, uh, has put the whole of Italy in lockdown last night, extending quarantine measures nationwide, imposed on all 62 million Italians. And then, of course, we find out that um, it's not really this lockdown that perhaps we were thinking it was. Well, you know, um, I think much of this has to do with communication. Of course, the, the government is now trying to um, mitigate the economic impact of uh, these measures. And also, they were highly criticized um, for the miscommunication up until this point. They portrayed this as um, a little more than an influenza initially. Uh, then they put... Um, some parts of Italy into lockdown and they leaked the draft decree to the press, um, essentially triggering panic and people fleeing those uh, so-called red zones. So now because of the confusion um, and the fact that many politicians and regional governors, um, including up north in the richest regions of Italy, are saying these measures are too extreme and they will tank the economy that is likely to face a recession, um, Giuseppe Conte is now trying to tell the public that, you know, these measures are severe because people are advised and they should stay indoors to avoid uh, the spread of this virus. But at the same time, people can continue working. If they need to move for work reasons, they can, and they will be able to go to the supermarket to buy their groceries. But doesn't this completely undermine the idea of a lockdown? I mean, no funerals or weddings or sporting events. You can't go to the theatre, the cinema, the gym. You can't do anything sort of, you know, social, but you can do everything work but but surely people are coming into just as many people in in contact with, with when they're at work well, that's correct, but it's also true that most companies have implemented remote working arrangements. There are very little people that are actually heading to work, and older people are staying home. Yeah. Um, parents that have their children at home and will have their children home until April 3rd have asked their companies to let them work from home. So essentially, the government is trying to avoid people from panicking. For example, last night after the announcement, people across Italy queued 
up in front of supermarkets because um, they were afraid they were going to run out of food um, and there would be shortages. So there is a lot of panic across the country. It is hard in parts of Italy that haven't been widely affected from this outbreak to understand what is going on and why it is so important that the virus is contained at this stage. So I believe it's a question of communications and how uh, they're going to mitigate these measures with um, the need to avoid uh, killing the economy. But people are very much staying indoors. This is very much a lockdown because you need to fill out a form and there is police on the streets that will stop you to ask you where you're going and you need to have a good reason for being outside your home. And if the reason is not good enough, you will be reported to police and you might face fines. Oh, so, that's yeah, so it's, it's, it's rather more than perhaps uh, people are suggesting. Uh, Sylvia Shirelli uh, Borelli, thank you very much indeed for joining. She's Italy correspondent for Politico. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. First up, we turn our attention to something which we find ourselves talking remarkably little about at the moment, despite the fact we were told the whole year would be nominated uh, by talk of the Brexit trade uh, negotiations. Uh, Well, the uh, Brexiteers have been demanding for a long time that we get a clue of like what is going to be happening after the 31st of December at the end of the transition period this year. And even the EU has said, well, look, tell us what you want. Make your mind up, uh, Brussels said to the UK, uh, on what kind of post-Brexit deal it wants. Well, yesterday, the UK's Brexit envoy, David Frost, uh, said we will be tabling legal texts, including a draft free trade agreement, before round two begins next week on the 18th of March. So at some point in the next, I think, eight days now, we are going to 
see what it is in terms of a trade deal that we want to have. Let's talk to Ian Doug Smith about this. He's a former Conservative Party leader, leading Brexiteer, of course. Good morning to you, Ian. Uh, morning, morning. Um, now, of course, this is what the uh, EU did uh, with Theresa May, didn't they? They they published their free trade agreement. They're basically, this is this is what we're going to work from in terms of a Brexit deal. Um, this is what we're going to work from, and then basically, your job is now going to be to tweak this uh, basic uh, text rather than the other way around. Is this a rather cunning way of dealing with this by uh, David Frost, which is that we're going to put down the document from which we should then work from? Well, actually, two things. I think first of all, it reflects the shift in power uh, between the EU and the UK since the election. And bear in mind that before the election, uh, under Theresa May, uh, and then more laterally, um, under Boris Johnson, with no majority, the EU was always able to smile to itself because it knew that Parliament would stymie the government at almost every turn because they didn't have a majority. So they would, uh, they would make demands. And bear in mind also, in the negotiations, we went always, we went to Brussels. You know, we have to go over to them, which is always a sign of weakness, I always thought. Now it's different. Having got the 80 majority, it's suddenly dawning on the EU that actually the government will, for the most part, get whatever it wants done, which means it has no fallback to Parliament, and therefore it's all the negotiations. And point two now on that is that they have to come to London, and that's the key bit. They're doing turn and turn about, which puts the power back in London's hands, back in our hands. So it's absolutely the right thing. Is it, is, are these things meaningful, which, you know, which desk you sit around in which country? Yes, yes, they matter massively. I mean, if you remember at the time, you might not remember, but at the time when they had the Vietnam War negotiations to end the war, they spent about two years or whatever discussing the shape of the table. It mattered <laughs> that much who people sat next to and who they didn't sit next to. So these things do matter because uh, at the end of the day, your power and potency in a negotiation... Uh, is a matter of lots of different things. And one of them is a demonstration that you are different from you were from what we were. And we were very weak before. We're now much, much stronger. And it's Europe, I think, that is somewhat more weak. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing, I think it's absolutely right for him now to say, well, we'll put the paper down. We'll tell you what we want. And then you can decide whether or not you want to meet us anywhere on that. If you don't, well, as we said before, we will leave will come what may at the end of the year. And this is and about this is, sort of speeding things up and not sort of yeah. going down to the wire on the, you know, the 31st of, uh, of December because, of course, it all needs to be implemented in advance anyway. Who are we kidding? It's got to be done, yeah. really. I mean, realistically, it's got to be done by the summer anyway, hasn't it? Well, Europe keeps banging on about uh, getting it all done by June, uh, which, of course, is right. But uh, the reality is the reason for that is they've got to get it past their parliament and it's more of a functional process at that point. So... Uh, but I do think that lots of this will go on being debated and discussed anyway if we are anywhere near some kind of arrangement. But the key points that, uh, that the government has set out is, one, uh, we are not going to be aligned uh, in the single market. We've said that we won't. We still reserve and will reserve the right uh, to change our regulations. Um, and also, at the same time, uh, we, we, don't, we don't like what elements that are left of the withdrawal agreement, such as their interpretation of um, state aids, for example, applying yes. to the whole of the UK, to Northern Ireland. So lots of things that were already said now, we're not prepared to accept, and that's the right way to go about it. was interesting. Um, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, the European Commission president, uh, made a uh, speech yesterday, uh, attended a press conference, marking her first 100 days as as uh, European Commission president. And, and she said, we know what each side is, t- is standing for, but then said the UK needs to think about the economic trade-offs it was willing to accept if it breaks away from EU rules. And again, sparking more frustration, people saying, well, no, we've already told you, <laughs> we, we are willing to make those trade-offs in return for national sovereignty. Yes, I think these are, um, these are signs, I think, of weakness, actually, by 
uh, van der Laar and others. It's, it's, it, 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 you know, what they never talk about is the trade-offs that they're going to have to make. And for example, you know, when you think that we run a deficit uh, with the European Union of around 100 billion pounds a year, which has rocketed in recent years, um, and that's because they sell us more of their goods and foods than we sell to them. So for them, any kind of shift in the balance on this has a dramatic effect on their trade. So they need to think about this. And the second thing is they need absolutely to have our financial services and other services, but particularly financial services, uh, intact, because that's where they raise most of their capital. So and, it, and just finally, very briefly, in terms of coronavirus and the effect on the markets we've seen yesterday and often the oil price, teetering economic collapse uh, being more of a worry for people right now, um, does that help or hinder those negotiations? Well, I think it means that you guys won't be reporting on the negotiations as much as you were before, which gives them a little bit more space. Uh, to do some uh, um, sort of virtual discussions, I think. But um, the truth about the coronavirus is going to have a, a significant effect on economies all over the globe. Uh, but more than likely, it's not like the, the, the big recession back in 2008. Okay. It, it'll actually be short and sharp, um, but we have to see what the budget will do tomorrow to alleviate most of those pressures. Absolutely. Former Conservative Party leader, former Cabinet Minister and a leader Brexit here. Ian Dunksmith, thank you very much. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Let's turn our attention back to a story that uh, emerged in the front page of The Times yesterday. Trevor Phillips, the uh, anti-racism veteran, and this is a man who's campaigned for decades uh, to tackle racism in this country. He's also the very first chair of the Commission of Human Rights, Equality and Human Rights Commission. Um, he is now facing uh, being expelled from the Labour Party. He's been suspended from the Labour Party uh, over claims of Islamophobia. Uh, now, uh, it's pointed out that actually the three senior party figures vying for the leadership of the Labour Party yesterday were remarkably quiet about the suspension of uh, Trevor Phillips over these claims of Islamophobia. Let's talk about this with Dan Hodges. He's a columnist for the Mail on Sunday and was for many years uh, a Labour Party activist. Good morning to you, Dan. Morning. Um, I have to say, when when I saw the initial tweets before I saw the front page of the Times yesterday, uh, that uh, of all people in the world, Trevor Phillips, someone I've known for many years, uh, was uh, being suspended from the Labour Party over Islamophobia, I, I thought it must be a hoax. But no, no, they really are that crazy. No, that, well, that crazy, although, I mean, to say it's crazy, it, 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 it's actually the opposite. It's actually very, very calculated. I mean, the reality is, and every, it, you know, it, it, it is, I have to say, I, I admire that they're front, if you like, because it is so brazen and it is so obvious what, what they're doing. Obviously, as we're all aware, the Equality and Human Rights Commission are just preparing to publish their findings into their investigation into anti-Semitism, into Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. And as a result, Jeremy Corbyn's allies, um, to try and sort of deflect from that or, or water it down or water down the impact, have decided to throw the former head of the EHRC out of the Labour Party or suspend him from the Labour Party you, you think you, this is about sort of undermining the Equality Human Rights Commission, saying, well, look, one of their former chairs is a racist? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, that is that is precisely why they've done it, because one of the things that the people haven't really picked up on, obviously Trevor Phillips was, was sent a letter explaining the reason for his, his suspension, and the rationale for his suspension is, I mean, it's, it's black and white, everybody can read it, is... is apparently his his publication of a pamphlet um, back in 2016. 
you know, four yes. years ago. I mean, it's it's not they're not even to be to be fair, they're not even pretending to be honest. I mean, it's very very obvious why this has been done. Well, what's interesting, of course, that the things that he's, he's being pulled up on are, are things you say often dating back a number of years, but also they aren't sort of, you know, silly retweets or, or casual off-the-cuff remarks. These are often articles. They're a, a, a documentary that he made uh, for, for national television uh, about about certain issues. And he's tackled some very important, difficult, very difficult issues that other people tread very lightly around. Uh, and, and, he, and he has actually been brave enough and I do think and he's, he's said to me in the past there's an element where he can say things because of his not only his own his own ethnicity but also because of his own track record which other people perhaps can't but some of the things he said his public statements uh, about for instance the, the grooming gangs and the, the, spate, the fact that the vast majority of those grooming gangs cases in Rotherham and elsewhere we've seen are Pakistani Muslim men uh, sexually abusing children and why action wasn't taken and why are we not talking about you know why is it this particular group of men involved in this particular crime, which seems to me to be, you know, A, he's stating facts, proven facts in terms of, you know, the, the full, you know, inquiries and court cases uh, subsequent to all, all of these uh, uh, these abusive cases. But but also he, he's asking questions and yet he's being accused of Islamophobia. And this is where we get into this very difficult word, Islamophobia, where it can mean any criticism of anyone who's Muslim or any Muslim practice or, or of anyone, as opposed to what I would understand as anti-Muslim bigotry, which is clearly unacceptable, questioning some of the tenets of a religion or some of the people who... who, who, who and again, some of the people who, who follow that religion, a small minority of those people, is not Islamophobic. But, I mean, let's even... Let's even... Let's even call the argument from the other side. Let's say, for the sake of argument, that what the Labour Party is alleging truth Let's say, for example, that there is a case to honour and that Trevor Phillips, the comments and the documentary and the pamphlet that in those in those those documents and that documentary, Trevor Phillips was saying racist, Islamophobic things. That begs the question, well, why is the Labour Party allowed him to remain a member for the last four years? It also then begs the question fine, if you're going to have a zero-tolerance approach to uh, to racism within the Labour Party, if anybody who faces a, 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 accusations of racism has to be suspended whilst those accusations are investigated, fine. But then why hasn't Jeremy Corbyn suspended from the Labour Party, given the, the myriad allegations that have been made against him in relation to anti-Semitism? Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.